TV land, but no. So, podcast land? All you folks out there on the airwaves, I don't know where you're listening at, listening to us from, but we are the Divergents. I am Will, or if, Halfling Wizard, I guess, if you want to look for me on socials, that's who I am. And I'm here with two amazing other creators, and we're here to talk about inclusivity and diversity and really just about anything that kind of rolls off the top of our heads these days. But I'm going to let my co-hosts introduce themselves. I will go. Who wants to go next? Adolfo? Uh, Sure. And if you hear a crying child in the background, I apologize, but that is my young human who's crying. But hello, I am Adolfo, the nerdy Puerto Rican. You can find me on the socials at the nerdy Puerto Rican. And yeah, that's me. This isn't a game. All right. <laughs> this is the character I'm playing tonight. <laughs> honestly, it honestly it t- it takes a while. There is that shift, and I'm just like, I've been doing this for how long, and I still managed to mess it up. But hello, everyone. This is the third divergent in this wonderful trio. Mikey, the founder of Vibe Tribe Productions, over here. I'm the young one, so I'm going I'm to do like all the hot takes, so we'll see what happens. No, I'm just kidding. Good. We try to present facts, not opinions. Though opinions sometimes can be fact. He's also up on the current lingo. Be like, I'm hip with the lingo. It's like, you guys yeah, are dude, rad. I Wait, did people still <laughs> use that word? <laughs> like, it's lit. <laughs> Listen, my profession forces me to be up to the lingo whether I want to or not. That's fair. That is fair. I, I think the the most cringiest one of those was Swifty. Oh. No, I don't. No, we're not. No. Yeah, that's age. I'm old. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we're here to talk about some fun stuff, and we're just gonna. Hopefully, you'll just hang out with us and listen to what we got to say. And if you got any comments, please leave them in the comments area. If you got questions, leave them in the questions area, and we'll try and address what we can. And maybe future podcasts so tonight or today or this morning or at midnight wherever you are whatever time you are we're going to be talking about i think we're going to basically talk about intellectual property rights and i'm going to let adolfo lead the road the road on this god i can't speak today yeah well over the The road i thought lead on this there we go cool wicked wicked whack yeah all right yeah i want to talk about Intellectual property creation, I just, I feel like this ties in with a lot of things we talk about because artists do tend to be a small, a small group. Sometimes artists tend to be like small marginalized groups. So this, this topic, for whatever reason, the other day really grinded my gears and I, and I wanted to talk about it, but just for full clarity, so we are recording this on Monday, January 9th, and the we're not going to talk about it at length, but just to get current events out there for the group that we're part of, the, the tabletop community. There's being a very huge rumble in that Wizards of the Coast is releasing this OGL 1.1 thing, which sets forth, sets, sets forth rules on the usage of... The Dungeons and Dragons intellectual property or IP, which Wizards of the Coast owns. So we're gonna get back to that. But right now, what I wanted to discuss is as an artist, when do you know your worth and when do you charge your worth? Charge for your worth. And I know that might seem like a very odd question. Okay. I know that 
might seem like a very odd question, but because we're as artists, we're all worth money. We're all worth for our work. But the first topic I wanted to talk about was an in- individual that I know that they started making cosp- cosplay clothing for in-universe usage of a very famous IP, intellectual property. And they started like most artists start. They started by a commission here, a commission there. They did really work. And I have seen their work. Their work is phenomenal, right? And as an artist, they felt that they were that they were worth it. So they started chasing that. And they started doing more and more commissions and getting their work out there which is great. Now they're at a point that they have to hire staff and they have to have a, a warehouse, a small warehouse. We're not talking like a big Amazon warehouse, but they have to have a small warehouse so that they can make their goods and sell them. And now you know that there's going to be that contingent that comes around that's like Mikey said earlier going to say, oh, they sold out. Oh, they're not one of us anymore. They're not small anymore. They're not like us anymore. So my question to start the conversation is that, are those true statements? Yeah. So let's start with that. Are those true statements? Is it fair to have someone that, that has worked their way up like that to, to get that kind of backlash? No, it's not fair. It's because we create as creators, you know, we're all different when it comes to being creators. So some of us do art, some of us do music, some of us do, do we DM or run tabletop games and things of that nature. But I don't think it's fair to say that they sold out for being successful. It's all of our, it's all of our, it's the American dream to be successful. No, I don't think it's, I think it's when people say, oh, you sold out. It's no, they didn't. They just, they had an idea that. The, com- the community that consumers wanted and they can make money off of it. There's nothing wrong with that. And then when the whole idea of, I think when it comes to like artists, people who could do like art, and I'm going to use artists as an example, like tons of it. There's so many amazingly talented artists out there. And, and you know, for the most few commissions and, and I've seen several of them, they're like charging like way too little for what they do. And I'll tell them, I'll send them messages. If I come across like someone who does like character art and I, this is, this was months ago. I can't remember how long ago it was, but there was an artist I came across on TikTok, and they did the, I don't know what the super word for it. Chibi. Is that what it's called? This style look or whatever. Yeah. The art was was fantastic. And for full body, like character, piece that i'm sure takes hours upon hours they were only charging like 20 bucks for it and i sent them a message going you are under you are underselling yourself and we had a little conversation back and forth i was like wait what go look at other artists who are and they were as good if not better than some of the other ones that i've seen and i'm like for a full body character, talking full, full on with the costume we want them to wear, their hair completely customized. And to charge only 20, 25 bucks for it, I was like, oh, darling, first of all, you're way under marketing yourself. 
I told her, I was like, I would, if I was your business manager, I'd be like, you need to be charging like $125 for that. And they were just like, what? I'm like, yeah. It's, first of all, it's customized. And if it was like a random thing, just like you you took something and copied it, then okay, then you could charge 50 cents for it because it's not original art. I mean, it is original, but it's not customized. When you, anytime you do something custom, you have to charge more for it because it takes more for you to create that than it does to create like a standard thing. Like I'm a dice maker. And when I'm making regular dice, my regular dice are like 25, 30, 35, depending on what they are. But if it's a custom order, it's like 65, 70 because I'm having to get custom colors, custom inserts. I'm having to do probably they want to do swirls or they want to. Do, I mean, it's and it's work because it takes work to do it. No, I don't. And so if someone came to me and said, oh, you're selling now because you're charging so much. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm still undercharging myself because. People, I know people who custom dice, and they're selling their dice for 125, 140 custom dice. I'm only charging like 70, maybe 70. So yeah, no, I don't think they're selling out. You did your due diligence. You did your work. You earned it. The short answer, I'm in agreement with Will that no, if you find success and then you expand your little operation. I don't think it's fair for you to be called that you sold out or that you changed because I hear it happen all the time. And it's a very interesting kind of going into the psychological effects of it is that when you find somebody who's an up and comer, there's different terms for it. So like terms that I've always held is like independent, like in the video game industry, like small development teams or make indie games, which are like independent, that they don't have a big studio backing them with all the financials and things like that and the promos and things like that. From a psychological perspective, it's very interesting to see that shift in the parasocial relationships that people have with whether it be artists, musicians, personalities as well. You see it all the time. It's just like when somebody new is starting out and they have a small little fan base and that small little fan base because a dedicated small fan base, then they're just like, this person's cool. This person's great. Like they get me those kinds of things. But then as soon as they start getting noticed from on their platforms and then they get bigger opportunities, like, I don't know, to finally be sponsored, so to speak, or to be doing like sponsored videos. And then it just grows into more opportunities or even bigger things like that. Then people are like, no, you changed. It's so weird to see this happen all the time. Is is that when you, it's like, just because I found success, I didn't sell out. It's just because I found, like Will said, you found your thing and you found success in it. And now you're just taking the steps to continue to find sex it, success in it. And then it just expands from there. I do want to add a little bit other caveat to that as well, because I see it all the time. And this is just from personal experience. So disclaimer on this podcast and my viewpoint should not be taken as a generalization for the entire group that I'm about to talk to. But everybody do your research. It is out there. I can link some stuff in the episode notes so you can take a look. I find it very interesting because from a perspective of my own, all this happens all the time where people start to turn once they get bigger and find success. But never have I seen it hit harder when you have 
creators in any area of color or any other marginalized group, once they find this big success, not only do they get that to be turned on them, but then they get sucked in underneath a microscope harder than any other person that I have ever seen, which is another dichotomy is once you start making it big, then you get put under the microscope. And then that's when the craziness happens. Like people will go out of their way. Like, how do I put this? So it's relevant, but not the same way. What happened with James Gunn, like a couple months ago. Now, do the things that he tweeted, were they problematic? Yeah, I'm not disagreeing with that. But the thing is that when he was a no name, he owned up to it. He apologized for it. And then he has taken the steps to do better. Then the whole fiasco became public because then Disney fired him. Then they rehired him when he went to D.C. because of those old tweets. It's just that when you become to a certain level of success, it's interesting to see people always look into your past or do something to try to bring you down in the process. But yet have I yet to see that when you stay small or stay independent or you stay in no name. It's only when you get to a certain level of success, then you put, get put on the microscope and everything you say, do the air you breathe, the, th- the Taco Bell you had for lunch the other day. Everything becomes so zoomed in on you it's no wonder that creators sometimes take a break or like their mental health gets affected by all this because it's just constantly always being put underneath a microscope which sucks (laughs) i'm a gen xer okay i'm just let the audience know that right out the gate i don't give a shit okay i don't care this whole cancel culture bullshit is driving me insane You know what it's reminding me of? It's reminding me of McCarthyism. It's reminding me of Salem Witch Trial. It's reminding me of, I don't like your success, so I'm going to say this horrible thing about you. And that's what this is. This is jealousy. That's all it is. People who, like, yell at other people because they talk down to them because, oh, look what you've done. You've become one of them. And it's like, what is one of them? Who are they, first of all? Who are you talking about? It's like suddenly it's this pointing fingers and yelling witch and hoping that the whole, the rest of the world will be like, oh my gosh, they're what? They're a witch? We burn them at the stake, burn them. And then all of a sudden all these horrible comments are coming in. And it's there's a great expression that a good a friend of mine uses. And it's, don't yuck someone else's yum. Intellectual, we're talking intellectual property here. It's their property for the most part. If they, if you're creating something original, now if it's based, you know, this is one of the great things. Imitation is the highest form of flattery. I'm going to use my own background, my own, not my personal background, but my educational background. And I'm a theater professor. You want to talk about some people that, you know, did this? Let's talk about Shakespeare. William Shakespeare based a lot of his plays on previous plays. A lot of his plays were based on Greek and Roman plays. You know what he did? He took those plays, changed the names, changed the locations. Boom, you have a William Shakespeare play. I don't see anybody bitching to him about it. Is Shakespeare a sellout? Because suddenly he got big and he became famous. Shut up. Seriously. Stop chewing on other people's chains. Stop it. Drives me nuts. Drives me insane. Be happy for people. Someone successful, lift them up. Don't try to drag them down. Because it just what it stems from. Oh, you have something I don't have, and I want it, but because I can't have it, I'm going to make sure that you're miserable. Yeah. And it, it, which you could see my face right. 
Because I'm like, yeah, he is. He is. Yeah, and it, it's funny yeah. that we got here because the individual that I'm talking about is a female, single, young female, who beautiful person, beautiful person, and it is fantastic the this success story that she's had. But she has had a lot of detractors that are that have gone on their on her site and are first of all they do that 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 bullshit thing that people like to do when they're dealing with artists and they're like oh we think that this thing is too expensive we'll give you this much for it and then she got shit because other seamstress other uh, other tailors other creators that that work in that medium were messaging her and were like, hey, can we just buy the patterns from you? And she was like, no, these are my patterns. And they were giving her shit for that. So, of course, she stuck to her guns and and I'm happy that uh, that she did and I'm happy I'm happy for her success. But I just, you guys see it too in, in all the different communities that, that we're in, very similar situations, especially in the Latino community, the queer, the LGBTQ plus community the BIPOC community it is it's it's rife in there and it's frustrating to see that which is it at times it would be nice if changing gears here it, at times it would be nice if we could just truly put blinders on and not have to and not be like, oh, look, that person, that that's a person of color and they're playing Dungeons and Dragons. Why are they playing Dungeons and Dragons? They're a person of color. They shouldn't do that. Or, and this is, this was what I was trying to say in our Furisato game, which if, for those that don't know, Furisato is a real, a real play podcast that we have here on the D-Vibe Tribe. Season one, it just, just wrapped. It's, it follows the Legends of the Five Rings tabletop role-playing game shameless plug shameless plug but we just had this beautiful romance just happen like hollywood couldn't have written this romance that happened in the game and to me i just i love the fact that it was that it's so beautiful and the fact that it's the fact that it's a lgbtq that it's two men romance and it was portrayed just magnificent mag magnificently mag what help word word magnificently <laughs> magnificently <laughs> line, line magnificently it was it's just fant is fantastic i just it saddens me that certain people either won't look at it because of that or they will look at it too strongly because of it because of it and they won't see it as the beautiful love story that i feel it is is that, that that's that's my 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 personal take just because i see that all the time like the minute you put an extra spin on it all the per that that individual's puerto rican then right away that's that has to give like this other edge to it and it's just can't we just can't it be a success story? Can't it be? Can't the person just be a good playwright? Does it have to be that they're that they're Puerto Rican and that has that takes it to the next level? You know what I mean? What do you guys think? So, how do I put this? 
it's very interesting too because i feel the same way when it comes to certain things that so i see it in two different ways so using that game and i'm gonna using furusato which again shameless plug i know but for me because i was the writer for the story of this game from my perspective, I just did it because realistically, I just did it because I had players that wanted to explore that, especially given the time period that the game was set in, which is a fictional version of feudal Japan. And then one of my players did all this amazing research with it and educated me on a lot of this stuff because I knew some of it, but I didn't know how the extent of it until I read the research and then also did some investigation of my own. I was like, yo, this is sick. This is dope. Let's do it. We talked about it. Both players were on board. We'll see where it goes. It happened. It was beautiful. I loved it. I was like, it's just a, it's just a story. But then in a weird way, like thankfully we, at least to my knowledge, at the time of this recording, we haven't gotten anything responses to that. Be like, why'd you put that in there? Why'd you do that? Now, there was a conversation I had with somebody who listened to it. And at first, the conversation started one way where they weren't outright understanding where we were coming from. And then after that conversation, they loved it. And then once that conversation happened, they were on board with it. They were just asking follow up questions and all that stuff, which I guess is fine, right? But what frustrates me from a creative standpoint is that it's 2023, right? So we are far enough, if we look back at the history of pop culture, cinema, music, all that stuff, and when the way that storytelling has developed over the last centuries, there's nothing new that you could put into that it could be so profound, right? So that's how I approach my storytelling. There's so much out there that just putting it in, putting things in there enhances the story, but it's nothing no profound. What frustrates me is when people have to add that extra edge to try to make it more profound than it actually is. I'm like, can we just have it just because I wanted it to? Why does it got to be? Why does it have to be something profound or unexpected, yes. especially coming from the storyteller? Yes. Very much. If you don't like it, don't listen to it. And let me add to that. One of the things that irritates the shit out of me, and I see this in theater because there we do a lot of plays, and a lot of plays have mature themes or something in them. Humor, whether it's just body humor or it's full-on sexuality or whatever. I always ask... When did it become my responsibility as a theater professional to tell you what you should and should not see? When did it become my responsibility to be the police of your morality? If you don't like what's in it, don't see it. But I know that's difficult for some people in this world because really all they want to do is bitch about something. But the thing that we encounter the most is people will bitch about it before they even see it. And that's, I'm going to say with this, with the Furusato thing, listen to it before you judge it. You might be a little surprised. And if you got something nasty to say, keep it to yourself. Nobody gives a What you're trying to do is everybody's looking for their 15 minutes of fame. And that's why most people put negative comments on things, because they know they're going to get a reaction out of people. It's not because they actually dislike something. 
It's because, ooh, look at all this amazingly wonderful stuff that they're saying about this person. I'm just going to say something completely opposite and see what happens. And that's what happens a lot of the time. And it irritates the crap out of me. We told a beautiful story. And it wasn't just the, and I'll tell you, I was one of those, I was one of those in the relationship. And I'm also the one that did a lot of the research. And that's the thing. I did my research, people. And guess what? Gay relationships in feudal Japan were actually very prominent. (laughs) They weren't taboo. They weren't what we consider them to be. Check your history, folks. I know that's going to be really hard for some of you out there, but you should probably check your history. LGBTQ plus folks have been here since the beginning of time. I know you don't want to believe that, but it's true. And this story that we told was beautiful. That's what I'm going to to call it. It was a beautiful story. The myself and the other player character or player who partnered with me in that scene or in those scenes. It was raw. It was honest. It was beautiful. And you should listen to it. And then you can do, then you can have an opinion about it. But until you listen to it, or until you see something, shut up. Truly. And that's all I'm going to say on that. Hmm. I, so, <clears throat> yeah, I just, so I want to give a little insight to where I'm coming from with that last I guess line of questioning. I I'm Generation X. I'm Ge- Generation Equis as a Hispanic man. I, love it. I, I am Puerto Rican. I was born on the island, and uh, I love that for you. We had, huh? I love that for you. That's I love that you're from the actual that you're actually from Puerto Rico. Yeah, I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know that. I did yeah. not know that. Yep, I love that. Yeah, it was. It's been a. It's been a long, weird trip. That's fair. I didn't mean to sidetrack you. I'm sorry. I, no. I was just like, what? I didn't know you were no, actually. No, this is actually still right on topic because being a Puerto Rican male, I've always had to work. It, it was. It's this weird. I've been put in the in, in situations where it's where I've had this weird thing happen. Where being a Puerto Rican male, I've always had to work that much harder right to prove my worth but then when i did that when i worked that much harder and proved my worth and like time and time again proved the level that, that i was at then someone would come in and be like oh we're you're we're just you're filling a quota affirmative action the amounts of time that, that i've had people Toss that in my face. Oh, we just, we brought you in because we need to fill quotas. I've had actual people say that to my face. And I'm just like, so I could have sat here and given you ridiculous schlock. I could have took a dump on a canvas and handed it to you. And you would have accepted it because you're filling a quota because I'm a Puerto Rican artist, because I'm Puerto Rican, because I'm Hispanic. And I'm giving you that percentage. And I that over the years for me, that has became a very sore area for me. But it has tied itself up into who I am. Like even with this with this this social media podcast, 
little universe thing that we live in, right? Like the TikTok and whatnot. I get in these ruts where I'm just like, I got to do better. I got to, so I can get the thing because I need to prove that I'm better than, and then I have to stop myself. And I'm like, who, who am I proving myself to? You know what I mean? And then I'll be okay until someone makes a comment. But because I've had people make comments like that recently to me, you know what I mean? So that that's that's where I'm coming from. Because it's I wish that people instead of seeing me as the Puerto Rican male that you know, creates shit would brown like creator. The brown creator, yeah. That they would look and be like, oh, he's a good actor. He's a good Hispanic actor. He's a good actor. Period. Enough said. Oh, he's a good podcaster. Oh, he's a good DM. He's a good Hispanic DM, but he's a good DM. He's a good Hispanic DM, but he's... he's a Hispanic DM. Yeah. <laughs> it's, in hindsight, it is silly, but there's such an undertone between the way that people say it. So, like, using what Adolfo said, it's like there's such a weight behind the words that's differently felt when somebody says they're a great DM versus they're a great Latino DM or African-American DM or something like that, because it insinuates that this particular we'll use it. We'll use DM as an example, as much as people want to claim that the world is full of opportunity and everybody's on an equal loving playing field. It's not. Let's be real with ourselves. That doesn't mean that you can't find success, even if you're like given a late head start while everybody else was running forward and you were still tying your shoe <laughs> while this was going on. That's not what I'm saying. But when people and somebody explained it to me very well, and it's in my mindset, too, is like when somebody says, oh, they're a good Latino DM, it insinuates that this particular DM who happens to be Latino is an exception to the general rule instead of the status quo as people would like to make it out to be. If that makes any sense. And it's so degrading when people say it. I was like, couldn't you just said that I'm a good DM and leave out, I don't know, physical, racial, orientational descriptors of it, because then it insinuates that I'm the exception to the majority instead of being part of the majority as you claim to be. So I've gotten a lot of that. And the older I get and the more I understand about the world and the more that I learn with from experiences that I have with other people. Yeah. I'm just like, we can just leave the descriptors out. You could just say I'm an awesome DM or I'm an awesome podcaster. We don't need to add any adjectives, verbs, physical any type of descriptor onto it, we could just leave that out. And we'll leave that. Let's leave that out of 2023. That would be nice. <laughs> it's it's difficult in this day and age for whatever reason. There's a ton of reasons. But it just it seems like people are just like super sensitive about that. And it's they can't treat a person like a person. They have to like address the difference of the person first before addressing him as a person. Now, and here's the thing, right? So we're here talking about this, but part of me feels part of me feels like I don't want to make it seem like uh, I'm belittling any marginalized groups or anything like that. But I like you said, Mikey, 
And like you said, Will, like, why can't you just be a good actor? Why can't we just be a good DM? Why is it? Why is that descriptor got to be there? And I know for some people that descriptor, that noun, noun, English professors, anybody? Noun? Yeah, noun. Line? Line? <laughs> I guess it would fall more to an... Since it's describing an aspect or it's describing the person in itself, and technically by default it would be an adjective because it's describing a noun. Okay. So, you know, why, you know, some people, they take that adge- adjective and they run with it. And sometimes I, I feel it's a little bit to a detriment. I don't know. I don't want to seem like I'm speaking out of turn or anything, but to, to me personally, that that's, it just, yeah, some people just, they take that adjective and they just, they run with it, man. And it's, yes, we get it. Can we just move on from that? So, yeah. So that's that. He has said his piece. <laughs> For me, it was the, yeah. I did want to share a story, though, that the two of you will appreciate. Will, you being a director in the theater you'll definitely you'll have another level of appreciation for this but so no shit here i am last summer doing one of my performances for those of you out in the podcast world that don't know i i do perform with a renaissance sword fighting comedy group called the lords of adventure and my character's name is diego de la fiesta and in one of our shows i do a bit where i go backstage and i put a dress on and i become a quote unquote damsel in distress but being the quote unquote damsel in distress i kick the shit out of my partner so it's good i've actually going into it i've been super nervous because i have a lot of friends in the lgbtq plus community a lot of close friends in the lgbtq plus community and the last thing i wanted to do was make a farce in this and a lot of the feedback I've gotten has been very positive in regards to this. However, we do this show, right? And as we do this show, the the individual who is a, a Caucasian female, she's the one that's running the show, that's running the Renaissance Fair that we're performing at. She's she watches uh, she watches the show, and at the end of the show, there's this thing, there's a bit that I do where I. Uh, like when I come out with a dress, I have I'm wearing like a coconut bra type thing, right? And I'll go out and I choose a man in the audience and I give him my coconuts and I tell him, "Here, honey, to hold on to my co- coconuts. Mommy's got to go to work, right?" And then at the end, I come out and say something to the effect of to to the man. And here's one man whose manly love is so manly that he will. Hold the coconuts of another man, right? And the director of the Renaissance Fair, she pulled my partner aside, the, my partner that I was performing with, and says, The show is great, but you might want to tone that one scene down. And my partner was like, What do you mean? And the, the director was like, Some people in this area might think that you're pushing the gay agenda. So, For the listening audience, both myself and Will gave the classic palm to the face. (laughs) Go off, sis. (laughs) Yeah. That's a funny story, by the way. 
that's hilarious. And like truly, that, that's that was a fun story. But this is this kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier. It's not really what I'm talking about earlier. It's a whole new topic. When people try to this is not the right word because it's a little too harsh, but it's censor part because of a reason that they're using, oh, this our community's too conservative or our community's this or our I did years ago. And the town that I live in is this is a very little bitty town in northeast Texas. And at the community theater a few years ago, I directed Avenue Q. Okay. Those of you who don't know about Avenue Q, it's basically like Muppets for adults. True. It is. It's, I love it. Oh, it's fantastic. And it's gone. It's raunchy. It's, but it's the funny, it's dirty. It's just vulgar. It is meant to be. It's because it's a satire is what it is. And just the song titles alone is like, you're oh, yeah. a little bit racist. And then the yeah. internet is for porn. Yep. Everybody's a little bit racist. Yep. It's and it's such, so it's, true, it's so which good. is so funny. And everyone was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're doing this because in our community, oh my God. But we did it and people loved it. They're like, oh my God, that was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. I'm like, yeah. Because first of all, you can't take it seriously. That's people's problems. So they couldn't see the satire in what you were doing. No, what are, where do they go? Where's the first place they go? Oh, you're trying to push an agenda. I'm like, what? No, I'm just trying to be funny. <laughs> it's, it's a funny yeah. gag. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a bit. <laughs> but this goes back to my whole stop yucking other people's yums. Stop it. <laughs> stop it. And my whole thing is, if my thing to, to that director would have been, did anyone complain? Did you have complaints? And that was a question that was presented, and there there were no complaints. They were just shut up. Seriously, if there are complaints, that's great. Because in our business, there's no such thing as bad publicity. Yeah. Does that guarantee you? Our audience, we filled those that house up because people were like, "Oh, this is a horrible show. It's got puppets having sex and this that." I filled our houses. By all means, please talk some more trash. We would love it. That person's, oh my gosh, they're pushing the gay agenda. You're, you're going to be, I guarantee, the Rainbow Squad is going to be in your next audience. Because they're like, oh, what? I'm going to be there. So in our business, there isn't. There's no such thing as bad publicity in our business. I know, but that director saw it as, oh my gosh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to stain our reputation. Yeah. Like, no, it's not. It's going to fill the place tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like... Are you kidding me right now? And it's funny because for a good portion of that of the run of that fair, I sat there super worried about what she said because at this point I was still brand new. This was, I think, maybe my second show, and I was just like, "Oh my god!" The director came up and she said these words, right? And then now my mind starts going, and I'm a Puerto Rican man, and this is the place where I'm at, and oh, but like at by the end of the run. I had so many people coming up to me asking to wear the coconuts, number one. And oh, number yeah. two, and number two, one of the sweetest things, this like beautiful, like older couple at the end of one of the days when I was, when we were out doing the gate, they stopped over and they gave me a bottle of mead and they said, we loved your show. <laughs> it's, 
yeah, I, it was just interesting. It's very interesting. And I have to say, I'm sorry that you felt that way because that's that sucks. It sucks that someone made you feel that way. And that's what she, that director did is because they were like, oh, you need to tone that down. They made you feel, they made you feel like you did something wrong and you didn't do anything wrong. It's humor. It's comedy, folks. Yeah. Launch here. Go watch a British bedroom farce. It's oh, all yeah. like men dressed as women running around this, that, and the, it's humor. It, most of it's satire. It's not meant to be taken seriously. It's uh, people just can't seem to not take shit seriously. Seri- seriously. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough being in the arts. It is. And then you're out there. You're in the raw. You're like what we would call technically outdoor theater. And yep. You're in the raw there because it's you're surrounded <laughs> for the most part. At least when... In most of our stuff, we're, we can control our audiences, the sides of our yep. audience, things yep. like that. Yep. Yeah, and then you've got the, you've got the cat calls and all the, the crazy stuff that happens at Ren Fairs, which is part of the fun. Yeah, but no, I hate that someone made you feel that way, and it's not. And as like I said, as a gay man, I don't, I wouldn't have taken offense to that. I would have been like, here, I'll take your guy, Cammy, your coconuts, I'll wear them. Yep. It's it's the funny thing is most people are very much willing to play with you yeah. it's other people put oh no's on it but not, most of the people in that audience would have been like here give me your coconuts i'll have fun with it that sort of thing yep. that's ridiculous that's dumb that's just dumb it's just dumb uh, that was a great story though that's funny <laughs> the more you know <laughs> oh my goodness no. oh, yeah. let's circle back i want to circle back to intellectual property stuff with the as of our date today, the current things that are going on. And if you're in the tabletop world, exactly what I'm talking about. The thing that irritates me about things like this is that, and I did an interview, myself and several others, in a panel interview with Dinner and a Game. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shout them out because Ray's amazing over Dinner and a Game. And we talked about what the things going on. And my biggest thing about this sort of stuff is the emotional investment that people have put into these. And, and most people look at and this. Most people look at these things as consumers. They look at let's use Cobalt Press for instance. They put out the Creature Codex and then all that. Those really cool books, which I have all of them, and it falls under the it falls under the umbrella. And as consumers, we just say it was just a book. Like, yeah, but do you know the amount of time, emotional investment it took to create that? And this refers, and then we can refer back to Dolfo's artist friend. The emotional, there's more to it than just pen and paper or scissors and cloth. There's more to it. And, you know, and that's one of the things a lot of times, like when I think about our administration, they don't understand what we do. As theater people, they don't understand us. They see theater and they're like, oh, it's a play. You guys, you play around. That's what they hear. And it's, you don't understand what goes into putting a play on. (laughs) It's like, literally is not just about actors learning lines and performing. There's so much more. There's so much more emotional, physical, mental investment in it. And it's not so... In this whole intellectual property thing, I, people aren't 
seeing the investment in it. Or even the physical, like the physical investment, because it takes time to make a custom piece of art. It doesn't happen overnight. Now, you have, now I'm not going to say you have those artists who can like whip something out like overnight, but it's not like hours of work and not just five minutes. And I've drawn you this amazing character. So you should be paid for that. You should be paid for your time. You go to an auto shop, mechanics paid for their time. You know, they're paid for the time they spent working on your vehicle. So why do we think artists shouldn't be paid for their time? And I know that in our society, a lot of people want something. I get that. That's just where we are right now. The idea that, oh, I want that thing, but I don't want to pay a whole lot of money for it. Yeah, I get it. And this in our economy and all of what's going on right now, of course not. We don't want to spend high prices. But if you, as a consumer, are getting a custom piece of something, whether it's graphic art, visual art, music, because there are a lot of composers out there that compose theme songs and things of that nature, and or videos or whatever. You have to think about the time that goes into them producing that. And I'm going to use a mutual friend of ours, Joff, who does a lot of audiovisual stuff for our gaming system, our gaming program, things of that nature. And he works like hours and hours. When we're chatting back and forth, the amount of time that he spends on creating those things is unfathomable. I it blows my brain. I'm just like, oh my god! And when he, because he would sit there and he would tell me, oh yeah, this little these few seconds of what I did here took me like six hours. And I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> like like three seconds of something took you like four or five hours to do that and that's what people don't see so when people are like oh you sold out or oh you become one of them it's it one it takes there's a lot of capital is involved not just financial but emotional and mental and so yeah they should get paid for what they do they should and they should get paid well for what they do now, there are some folks out there that I probably wouldn't pay $115 for what they do. But as a consumer, that's my choice. I can choose to, ooh, I really like that. Or, ooh, that's not very good. So, um, I don't know, pass that one and I'll go to this other creator who I know does amazing work. And yeah, it may be $25, $30 more expensive, but it's worth it. They're worth it. Their art is worth it. So we should absolutely pay them what they're worth and not bitch and moan about it. Because honestly and truly, at the end of the day, you don't have to buy it. No one's forcing you to. So intellectual property, I think, or in the aspect of when should you be paid, when should... And then there's a lot of folks, like, I tell, we tell our actors that if someone wants you, they come to you and they go, hey, would you do this thing for us? Then you tell, yes, I will. Here's my fee. That's what you do. Because you, what you have learned and trained is worth money. And if someone wants you to come and perform a workshop of some kind or something of that nature, then you tell them, absolutely, I'd love to do that for you. Here's what I charge. You should always have that. 
Now, there are those moments where it's, oh, yeah, I'll come and do this thing for you for nothing because it's a recruitment thing. Like we have a combat workshop we take to local high schools for recruitment purposes. But we have a full on movement workshop, stage movement workshop, which includes combat, dance and some other things that we hire out. So I, when people call me, I go, oh, what are you looking for? Are you looking for just like a combat sort of workshop or a dance workshop or do you like the whole banana? And, oh, we'd love to have the whole thing. Okay, here's the fees for that. If you wanted me to just come in and and now, and I will say, I have done it and people have been like, oh, no, we're going to pay you for it. And I'm like, oh, okay, if you want to. I've gone in and done some fight choreography for sh- for shows and things of that nature. And it's mostly, it's I do things a lot because it helps us in recruitment. But a lot of them will be like, okay, how much do we need to pay you? And that's, and, I, and sometimes, oh, you don't have to. But as a young artist, if they say, how much should I pay you? You tell them how much. Never turn down anything. <laughs> so you young artists out there who are up and coming, just because you're just starting doesn't mean you're not worth it. You need to charge. Do some things for your friends for free. That's cool. Because usually it, you guys will trade things out in kind. Things of that nature. And, that, and that's okay, too. Let's talk. I want to talk about that real quick. Like doing things in kind. Hey, I'll do a full character art piece for you if you do me, if you could do like two sets of dice. I'd be like, sure, let's do it. That's cool because you're getting something for your work, but you should never give your work away for free. That's my honest opinion. I don't care if you are just starting out or you've been doing it for 30 years, never do your work for free because you're worth it. So. That's my two cents. I will add to that from never. I'll add to that aspect of never do your work for free. I think also too. This is just because I am currently in that new starting out phase, and this is just my personal philosophy. So everybody can either take it or not, and so it's fine with me. Know your worth. Get paid when need to. But also, I'm a big proponent of establishing trust and faith within the people that you come in contact with. For me, there's an unspoken rule of when you are doing these things and the people you surround yourself with, make sure that you earn and keep their trust, which is a big thing that most people tend to forget to do, is that you need to establish that trust with the people you're working with and start building those connections, but also be a person of good faith. Are we going to make mistakes? Yeah, sure. Do I make them all the time where human duh is going to happen like that. But there has to be good intentions. And if you build that trust with somebody and you work with them or when you, I'll just use it from my perspective. So as a content creator who is trying to do podcasts out here, all varieties, I have amazing people that I work with. Some are my co-hosts, some are my players. So sometimes they are the game masters themselves if I'm on the player side of things. There has to be a sense of trust that is built with the people that you work with and do these projects with. Because then when the tough times get going, you can rely on them and you can have the tougher conversations without worrying about too much. But you also have to step out in good faith in the sense that be as transparent and be as honest with the people that you're working with as much as you possibly can. And when I say be honest, I don't mean be like, oh, you're doing this wrong, blah, blah, blah. No. If you know that you're not sure of something, say you don't know. 
be like, reach out to your community, be like, hey, I'm not particularly good with X, Y, and Z. Can you point me in the right direction? Or can you tell me where I can start in order to do that? All that kind of stuff. You have to have enough trust in the people that you're working with, but you have to give them good faith in return. If you trust them and your words and action are of what you say you're about, which goes back to what I tell in my profession as a teacher, what I tell my students all the your words need to max need to match your actions. If your words and your actions line up all the time and you back up with what you say through your actions, then more people are going to gravitate towards you because you're showing them that they have good faith in you. If you say you're about something, but your actions are not that or they're the complete opposite of that, you can't get mad at people who, A, call you out on your bullshit, more importantly. But number two, you can't get mad if people don't trust you or don't want to work with you because you haven't established that good faith with them. Treat the people that you work with kindly. And when you find more success, make sure that you constantly thank them and you remember them because... Where you started and where you end up will be dependent on who you keep along the journey with you. And that's what a lot of people tend to forget is once they find that success, they forget all the little people along the way. I know it's a tired saying, but remember where you come from. Be appreciative of that time that you were starting and make sure to give those people kudos and remember them fondly. Never forget where you came from because... In this day and age, it's easy to lose that and go back to square one if you don't have that good faith. That That's just me. I'm done preaching. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Okay, I'm going to preach a little bit, too. Do this, it. This is, to artists, this is to artists, to us. Because artists out there, please, stop playing the victim. Stop it. Just because somebody either doesn't like your work because you know what? Not everyone's going to like your work. But don't come boohooing about it and be like, oh no, someone said a horrible thing about me and la la la. I'm like, stop it. I've had horrible reviews. I didn't let it get to me. It's okay. It's one person's opinion. I didn't play the victim. I actually took that and made myself better. I was like, okay, but they, okay, let me listen to their complaint. If it's legit, then I'll be like, sure, I can work on that. Let me work on that. If it's not, then I move on. But stop playing the victim. Nobody likes that person. One, it makes people who are actually being victimized by something. It's like the boy who cried wolf. We have all these people going, oh, boo-hoo me. And then when the real person comes forward with a true legitimate thing, we ignore them because we're like, oh, they're just faking it like everybody else. And it's out there. It's everywhere. It's... It, and I know we're mostly like TTRPG and things of that. You, you can find, you'll find it all over this community. People who are very much, oh, poor me. Oh, I have to do all these horrible, I have to do all these things, not horrible things, but I have to spend all this money. I have to do all, yeah, so do we all. Stop victimizing yourself. Because first of all, if you just said, hey, this thing happened, can anybody help me out? As opposed to, oh, this horrible thing happened to me. Let me tell you my sob story. And then I'm just like, dude, or dudette, I see what you're doing. <laughs> you're preying on our empathy to, to give you something that, you know, you could very well just 
stop if you stop get off social medias and stop bitching and complaining about it and actually go out into the real world and find a way to fix it, then you could do it. Stop playing the victim. It's annoying. And it detracts from the people who truly need our help. And that's where it comes from. It comes from one of the greatest things about this community is how super helpful they are. The TTRPG community will they'll give the shirt off their backs. And people see that. And this is what pisses me off. People start taking advantage of that. And that's when we start getting the sob stories. And it's like, oh, hey, this horrible thing happened to me. And I could really use everybody's help and support. And then you do help them and you do support them. And then you find out that they didn't really need your help or support. Because they just played the whole community. Stop playing the victim. Stop it. And everybody else, stop being so damn gullible. You need to research these folks. You need to look into these people. Look at their past videos. Look at what they're doing. Before you start handing over your hard-earned money to them, seriously. And then help the ones who legitimately need the help. But the ones who are trying to, like, secretly fund their trip around the world by throwing a sob story out there. And then you're thinking you're helping them, oh, I'm going to help this person buy their house. No, you're not. You're helping them buy a plane ticket. So stop. Because it just makes all of us look bad. And as a small-time creator myself, and I don't even really consider myself a small-time creator. I just I'm a dude who does things. And But when things like that happen, when people are playing that victim card, it makes me look bad as a creator. Because now, all of a sudden, I'm coming to the community and I'm saying, hey, this horrible thing has happened and I'm just strapped. Any help you can give me would be amazing. And then people are all like, no, okay, yeah, this guy's like making up some bullshit. And it's no. There are legitimate people out there who need our help. And then there are people out there who are preying on your naivete. Please pay attention. Please. And that is my PSA for the evening. Here, here. Adolfo. So, how much time we got? <laughs> we got time. We got time? All right. Yeah, we got time. All right, so I'm going to try to paraphrase this as much as I can. There is a vernacular, which uh, I feel, now I am not a learned individual. I just, most stuff I've learned by myself. So if this is incorrect, please, someone correct me, right? But there's a term which I believe came from the neighbor, from communities of color. It's called a hustle, right? You got your peeps, they're on the corner, they get their hustle going. Get that money, get that cheddar, right? And slowly, this vernacular, the hustle, has made it into its into general conversation, right? And as of late, I've seen how it's now turned into this hus- this culture, this hustle culture. And it's not hustle as in like you're trying to bamboozle someone, you're trying to cheat someone. It's a culture of you're working hard, be it you have three jobs or you you drive you're an Uber driver and you're taking like the crazy Uber fares, but those are unfortunately are the Uber fares that like that pay the best. You know what I mean? This is the hustle culture, right? And I was reading an article the other day that that's saying how more and more people are moving away from that hustle culture. Now, I'm not saying by any stretch or means that you should 
kill yourself for the hustle. You know what I mean? Because you need to do what makes you feel happy. And you know, for some people, getting that hustle makes them happy. You know what I mean? For some people, it doesn't. But you got to respect the hustle. You got to respect the hustle. And at some point, youngsters, you got to, you have to hustle a little bit. You got to get a little of that hustle. Getting into this whole podcast, streaming, video thing, right? Much will. I just, I consider myself someone that just does it for fun. And because when I first started and especially earlier last year when I was doing a lot of performing at the different Renaissance fairs, a lot of the PR, a lot of the promotion I had to do. And that was a hustle. Every, I think like every other day, I put up a different thing about one of the performances that we were doing or that someone else from the group was doing every as it came closer to showtime to the when the renaissance fair was supposed to start i would start hyping up that renaissance fair and it was ex- it's exhausting right and like this whole podcast video twitching streaming thing right like even though we're we're out here and we're sitting and we're playing a game that is is fun there's still a hustle to it and it it takes a lot of time going off of what mikey and what will were saying it takes a lot of time it takes a lot of energy it takes a lot out of you so youngsters and i don't mean just youngsters in, in age but youngsters in that you're if you're coming into this or if you're coming into a profession thinking oh i can just i can just kind of lay down into it that's not how it works that's not how it works. You got to hustle. You got to do a little bit of hustle. I'm not saying that you have to sell your soul, depending on the level of notoriety that you want, that you might have to, you know, but especially in that first initial stages, you got to hustle. You got to hustle and educate yourself. Yeah. If it's anything, this whole OGL 1.1 nonsense is, has shown me is go out and just get get the free consultation from people that know shit that actually have the pieces of paper that 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 show that they know what they're doing and that that know what they're doing and that that they know what they're talking about that way you can cover your ass for years ever since in recent years, I've grown up playing Dungeons and Dragons, much much like Will. And in recent years, I would sit back and be like, "Man, how are these people not paying Wizards of the Coast a royalty? Because they're making money off of this. You making money? You're making money off of Dungeons and Dragons, but you're not. But you're not paying any sort of." How is that happening? How is that a thing? Go to find out. It's because of the OGL, the open game license thing. And now, because it can't be ignored anymore, and I'm just, I'm saying this not to cast, I'm not casting stoves, I'm not casting blame, I'm not blaming anyone, but the popular of 
Dungeons and Dragons and the things that encompass Dungeons and Dragons. Am I still am I still there? Am I still talking? Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. And editing mic in in three, two, one. The things that encompass Dungeons and Dragons. Your critical roles, your acquisitions incorporated, your dimension twenties, your cobalt press, your your green ronin, your pathfinder, right? All that stuff. Like now in the modern, I'm gonna use this is my word of the night. In the modern vernacular, if you go to someone and you're like, oh, I'm gonna go play a pathfinder tonight, they're gonna be like, What? But a regular common person that has nothing to know about anything if you're like oh, i'm gonna go, i'm gonna go play dungeons and dragons they're gonna be like oh you're gonna go play you're gonna go play a game okay that's where we're at with this dungeons and dragons thing right so you're damn sure that wizards of the coast was gonna want start wanting pieces of that cheddar and i'm not supporting please do not misconstrue what i'm saying I'm not supporting the OGL 1.1 in any way, shape, or form. But let it be a lesson to us. Let it be a lesson to you, young artist, young sir. Go and get like a, a basic. Heck, you don't even need to talk to legal representation, although that is the most recommended course of action is to find a, uh, a lawyer or some sort of legal person that handles that type of IP in Words, line, <laughs> line. Intellectual. Like, oh, thank you. It's because I got hit in the head a lot. What do you want? Anyway, it's fair. go find yourself. You don't have to go find yourself a lawyer, an intellectual property lawyer, or a creative, creative arts, no, common arts. I forgot the name, but it's a specific lawyer that deals with like art and whatnot. You don't have to go find a lawyer, even though that is the most recommended form you can go to the library and educate yourself heck you can go to your county courthouse and there's a whole legal library there and you can sit there and read all the books sidebar when i went for my divorce i didn't the only fees i paid i didn't we didn't get a lawyer the only fees i paid library fees the the county library <laughs> for usage of the law library that was in my county Love and it. i was and all the information was there <laughs> And I found all the legalese there. Love it. And all that stuff's there. All that stuff's there. So go read into it. Find out what your rights are. Especially, I have a lot of friends that are writers that are coming out with their own stories. A lot of, you know, young artists. Know what you can draw and what you can't draw. I, I know, like, you, you might be sitting there. And doing one of these like live feed draws and you're drawing some, some character from some intellectual property, right? But if you're drawing a character from some intellectual property, don't be surprised if the next day you have a cease and desist like in your email box or your, li your, your live just gets taken off because that's someone's intellectual property. So you got to educate yourself, especially it. It sucks that's where we're at in this day and age, but that's you got to protect yourself and you got to and you got to respect the hustle. And that's that, that's yeah. all I got. Okay. Well, I'm going to end this on an educational note. 1680s is when hustle was first used. 
Yes. 1680s. It meant to shake it with to shake to and fro. And then it became that was the verb form. Then when it became a noun, it was in 1891. We're pushing activity interest of success. 1891, American English from the hustle, the verb hustle. In its later colloquial senses, earlier the noun meant a shaking together, 1715. Sense of a swindle, illegal business activity was by 1963. Uh-huh, yep. And then the popular dance by 1975. Boop, boop, All boop, of that boop. from the online etymology dictionary. You can do a great Google search. So that's, that was fun. So that's the etymology of hustle. So I've been educated now. I feel educated. Me too. I feel educated. Uh, (laughs) I feel so smart. But yes, yeah, so on that note, everyone, thanks for joining us again for the divergence. Yeah, it won't be. It's not. Uh, I have, uh, you know, I'm, again, I'm Will, and along with Adolfo and Mikey, we are your co-hosts on the divergence, where we touch on topics that some most people don't want to touch on. And we're going to touch on them anyway, because I don't think there's such a thing as an untouchable topic. So please join us again. Again, if you've got comments or questions, leave them in the comments area wherever you're listening to us. Please do, because that would be great. We'd love to hear your questions. We'd love to answer your questions. But yeah, interact with us. Share us with other people. If you think some other folks would like to listen to what we have to say. Because we obviously like to listen to our own voices. Hopefully you do too. Yeah. That's it for me. And I'm not going to sign off for the other two because I'm a white man. I'm not going to sign off for the brown folks in the room. That's me. I'm Will. Thanks for joining us. I'm Adolfo, the nerdy Puerto Rican. And I'm signing off. Go ahead. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. And this has been Mikey, the founder of the Vibe Tribe. This has been another Vibe Tribe Productions. Thank you for listening. And as always, take care of each other. Love one another. And as we always say here, we got to let the good times roll. So until the next episode of The Divergence, we will see y'all later. Ta-ta for now. Bye-bye. Before you take the bots out, I got to tell this story. I got to tell this story. Okay. How quickly are we talking about? Because somebody's got to go DM a one-shot really soon. <laughs> it's going to be real quick. Okay, go for it. When I was younger, in my younger days, when I was skinnier and I had a bald head, I worked with a buddy of mine who was starting his own landscaping company. And we went out and we cut local people's yards, right? And when I get in the sun, I get really dark, okay? And I'll never forget, we we had just gotten done cutting this one lawn and I was loading the lawnmower into into the trailer. And... This little old lady with this little fucking white Pekingese dog. Like, I see her walking one way, and I see her out of the corner of my fucking eye, just staring at me. And then she, like, disappears out of my peripheral vision. Then she turns around and slowly again comes walking this way, except this time she has her dog in her, like, clutching her pearls type thing. And I'm like, what is this going on? And I see that she stops. So I turn, I'm like, can I help you? And she takes this like half step towards me, looks me straight in the eye and goes, oh, cuddle, my grass Oh, my. <laughs> and I was just like. That's not how like, Spanish works, right? <laughs> I was just like, 
the, all these thoughts were going through my head, right? Is this really happening right now? Is she really, is this what? And apparently I didn't get an answer out fast enough. Right. God. And so she comes at me again. She's you owe. I pay dinero, right? Oh, no. So finally, I'm just like, I'm sorry, ma'am. Did you need us to cut your lawn? And she goes, this is her response. Oh, thank God. I thought you were Mexican. Honestly, Adolfo, you were living the stereotypical American dream. There. <laughs> you were a Hispanic man mowing a lawn. <laughs> That's the American dream, baby. I don't think it could, it could get any more stereotypical unless you were like on a corner selling oranges. <laughs> hey, we're, it's all in good fun. We all I don't know that I don't mean anything by it. But truly, she was probably like, oh, look, I'm Mexican mowing a lawn? What? It's First of all, not Mexican. Thank you very much. It's like... I'm a Puerto Rican mowing a lawn. Thank you very much. That's it's a different exactly. stereotypical dream. And $50. And $50. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. Yes. Oh my goodness. All right. Okay. All right let me, you can use that for Patreon or something like that. <laughs> for the bonus oh content. God. Yes. Editing Mikey, this is where the episode ends. So just figure it out. This is the future you problem. This has been a Vibe Tribe production. Remember, take care of each other, love one another, and as always, keep those good times rolling. We'll see you next time.